And so you were told, seek the place where the temples of the earth reside, right after this, and just before the end of this chapter. Okay. Seek the place where the temples of the earth reside. Yes, and he mentioned, oh, and this was actually, this was actually Chief Joseph came to me, and he was, this was actually a precursor, and he was starting to point out the next path in our journey, which would be to the West. So he's showing me the temples of the earth. He gave me an Indian doll, a papoose, so he was foreshadowing that I was going to have more children at the time. And he was showing me because he was standing at the edge of a mighty canyon, which in just a couple of years, I would live in that canyon. I was living in Ohio at the time of this vision. He spoke of our coming homeland, but I did not know that. Well, I guess at the time I, I even wrote that I knew he spoke of our coming homeland, but I didn't know how we would get there. I just knew that we were being led to go west. And what you'll find here, you know, we spoke earlier too about how the one soul called me Ute. And then there were others, other experiences, which we'll probably be touching on in the other chapters regarding the Utes. But I had lots of visions about Ute Mountain and about these canyons. And eventually I lived there right by Ute Mountain and by the canyons in a place that I had lived many times before in previous lifetimes. And I still have a cannonball from having lived up there because I was up there for 25 years now and now I'm uh, elsewhere. But I have one of the cannonballs that, you know, I had two children up there who are now adults and um, my son found in the river one of the cannonballs that was used in the Native American wars that may very well go back to the time that a previous incarnation of mine once roamed those same lands. Well, chapter six. Okay. Reincarnation in religion, earning the higher worlds, dark horsemen, union of lights, evolutionary purpose, and time-bound and ascension worlds. So we start off the chapter, religion, all religions have some error. Yeah, and so the book Reincarnation and Karma, which we're kind of going through, has, you know, some, some specifics into some of these things. And of course, these are just minor little things that were pointed out to me to make a point. They're not exhaustive by any means. But I was shown how, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and you know, I mean, that's something that we can kind of just, we know this to be true. Right. Uh, you know, everyone, you said all people believe their watches are set to the correct time. There's light and dark aspects of all religions. And so if there's anything, you know, specific you need to say about that, otherwise just that whole concept, we can just leave it at that if you want. Well, I think the main thing I would say about it is that there's always a great revelation that begins a religion, almost always, mm -hmm. and it comes from, now sometimes, you know, uh, there's another book that I wrote called Protestant Reforms, which specifically goes into 
trying to explain the different disputes that brought about, you know, 30,000 plus denominations in the Christian faith. And not, um, in fact, most of those, I think there's a total of five of those that came about due to a revelation. So we'll just count that as an exception to the rule. But for the great faiths, most of them came about because of a great revelation. A revelation is either an out-of-body or mystical experience that came to a great prophet, messiah, seer, something that was so catastrophically life-changing that it was big enough to create this huge faith system. What happens though is that after that great revelation, it is inevitable that those who follow that soul will then try to push it into some form of structure. And that's when it gets messed up a little bit because a spiritual thing cannot be contained in a structure. It just, it, it's always going to be somewhat changed by doing that. And, and, and that happens without fail in, in any type of, you know, structured religion when you take a great revelation and then try to put it into this box. Uh, revelation is fluid, it's liquid, it's ethereal, dogmatics, even theology, as much as I love and adore theology, is more legalistic in its nature. And the spiritual flow of the mystical is so different that there will be mistakes. So, right. So, if, like, if a scientist that's dealing with material chemical compounds and stuff is like, okay, can you, like, uh, you know, he's going to be like, show me the science when it comes to spirituality. Like, <laughs> they don't have the tools that can work with the spiritual elements. Like right. That. So they can never, they're always going to be stuck in this material because they have the tools and equations that only work with material stuff. And physical. Right. I'm in the physical world. There's always elements to, to the mystic or to the prophet or the messiah that are beyond our understanding or the beyond the understanding of an of a person who is on the ground no matter how much faith we may have or whatever we do not have the capacity to understand that which was given to them beyond what we can understand what i've definitely learned in my you know almost 40 years of receiving these types of uh, experiences is that you just can't experience that not completely capable of fully understanding it. It's just, it's just, you can't. And you can put things into words to a certain degree, but it's like uh, an iceberg. So yeah. what, what, what I've been able to encapsulate in words might be this tip of the iceberg. Everything else is underneath the water and will stay there because there's no way that you can. And as much as you want to, and as much as you try to, you really want to like, gosh, there's got to be some way I can convey the whole thing, the whole, all of it. You just can't. And so, you know, the experience of Jesus Christ, Messiah, or of Krishna, you know, or of Swami Vivekananda, or Paramahamsa Yogananda, a great portion of their internal experience will always be unknown to us 
we, we get that little tip. You know, even the great Sufi masters, the great Rumi, and all these Kabbalistic masters, we have these little parts of what they are able to express of this much grander reality that they have experienced. And we, we have to be careful about the fact that those, you know, great prophets who founded these religions, you know, the, the Muhammad, the Jesus Christ, the Krishna, the Moses, Abraham, and more, you know, there's, you know, Guru Nanak, all of them, what they experienced, we only have a small portion of in the writings that are retained, who they were, what they were, what they really received. We probably have, you know, 1% of it. <laughs> so in this lifetime, you went back to where you were a follower, a follower of all kinds of religions and as a lay person, and you did this intrusive self-examination. And then your soul was washed clean by a priest, not from this earth, who poured a cistern of water over your head. And it was very powerful. And you cried, our sins will be forgiven if we go to the Father and seek it. Yes. And God chooses us because of our sin to bring others back to him. We referenced this yesterday. To show what can be done when we repent. And you knew that... The Lord had never left your side, but he withdrew some just to test your faith. And so you were taken into the, the holy and unholy aspects of many religions. And you were told of the three qualities in every religious path to make it valid. Humor, direction, and use. Yes. The angel of the Lord spoke that to you. Yes. And, you know, the one that I think probably surprises people the most is the humor, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. Because, you know, it's very serious. Yeah. And, you know, when you think of that, I mean, for me, even just remembering it, when you bring it back up, that it actually fills me with great joy. I just got goosebumps when you reminded me of it because of the fact of how important is that? You know, how much of that has been taken from so many of, of our religions and how important is the humor? Because, you know, our, our faith should be something that we can laugh at ourselves and that we can take lightly as well as seriously. It's not something we need to, uh, we certainly don't need to be warring with one another over it. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and, um, I'll kill you. <laughs> I'll kill you if you don't purify the same way I do. <laughs> it's very serious. <laughs> yeah. And you know, because it's really it's about joy and rejoicing and love and light. And but you know, there's serious things that we need to to work with. And when you yes, were working, we do. and you know, I'll never forget just bringing up humor. I go ahead. You were going to say something. Oh, no, you go. You go. Um, there's an experience that I had that was recounted, recounted in the mystical captive series where it, I experienced this holy laughter and it was just something I'll never forget. I loved it. It was so awesome. But, you know, there is this concept of holy laughter where you were just overcome with just the ridiculousness of it all. 
and and it's not it's not a, an irreverent ridiculousness it's it's just you're just laughing and it's just so wonderful and so freeing and so liberating yeah. because it, it it was just a, a beautiful cleansing freeing experience and in the I, well I don't know if I'll find, be able to find it quickly but in the book there's images uh that I found of because it was was it was not just me it was me and all of creation were laughing and the animals were laughing with me so you know I put <laughs> these images of the you know the little rodents laughing and little deer laughing and because it was it was so special because mm -hmm. it was an innocence it was very holy laughter and it comes into this humor that is required where we do need to step back and uh, remember that humor needs to be a part of our spiritual path. And so whenever we find ourselves taking things way too seriously, remember that yeah. humor, direction, and use. <laughs> I still remember to this day, like 40 years ago or something, it was like, I don't know, one of those shows like extra. And they would like, <laughs> one, I don't know, one of those things like that. But they uh, would interview actors. And I was like so fascinated. And Rutger Hauer was on there. Remember Rutger Hauer? I don't. Okay. He was, uh, yeah, he's been in a lot of movies. But he died like a while ago. But they go, anything else you can leave us with, Rutger? And he's like, yeah. And to all you actors out there, yeah, uh, don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> I was like, mm, that's good advice. Yeah. Sometimes we, we do, right? Yeah. <laughs> now you were uh, becoming aware of your sin and you realized that just because you were uh, becoming aware of it didn't stop it from happening. And you, right. you felt hopeless and unable to stop the thought, the vice, the action. And so you started to seek atonement from people from your past that you had done wrong and ask God for forgiveness. And so you started going through a lot of atonements at this time. Yeah, these ones I think became more of the worldly atonements. This would, would have been when I became aware of people that I could reach out to so, you know, whereas the spiritual atonements were, were things that I had with people that I no longer had contact with, and there was no way for me to reach out to them or do anything. And frankly, a lot of the atonements are things, the spiritual atonements are things that you forget. So you wouldn't remember them anyway, right? Mm -hmm. This was a period where these atonements were things that were recent enough in my life and I had a way to reach out to those people and write them a letter or put in a call mm -hmm. and uh, take the risk. Sometimes, you know, it was received well. Sometimes it was received badly, you know. But what was important was to, to make the effort to put the apology out there very sincerely. And it was kind of difficult because I, I remember some of these apologies were not received well <laughs> and uh, what, what was told to you was what you have done you can undo and god took you into your weaknesses and then back to the surface to bring it into consciousness 
So the things you couldn't remember, he took you in and then back out so it would come up to your consciousness so you could deal with it. Yes, and a lot of these things, you can change them. You can change them energetically. You can change them with your intention. And for those that you cannot, I, I was also shown that when someone refuses to accept an apology, whether it's in a spiritual atonement, because I experienced this uh, in a spiritual atonement, which is, you know, in the spiritual world, not in the physical. And I experienced it in some of my others that the, the fault then falls to them for not being able to forgive. And in a lot of cases, these were situations where the fault was really more shared. It wasn't a, you know, a clear cut, oh, I really screwed them over. It's like, it was, it's like an accident <laughs> in insurance, you know, viewpoint. It's like, you're at least somewhat responsible. It's like, you might be 95%, but you're at least 5% responsible. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, the, the person ran the red light and smashed into me. Yeah, but you were behind the wheel. You know, it's like, come on. Well, a lot of these things were, a lot of these things were more, were closer to the 50-50 or. Oh, okay. Yeah, these were more of these kinds of things where there were genuine misunderstandings between people and you're reaching out with your part of it in the hopes that you can meet somewhere. If you can't meet, you can't meet, but you do the best you can. <laughs> what really stuck out about this is that to release and burn down that house of karma, we absolutely need to forgive everyone, ourselves, uh, ask for forgiveness and forgive anyone who's done any wrong to us. If we're holding on to that, it's just not the the best use of our spiritual intelligence because if we're going to keep going you know yes. we're going we'll to just be tethering ourselves to the to this karma you know, reincarnation that's um, very well said because we are tethering ourselves by holding on and not forgiving but we also don't realize that the more that you go through these rites of passage towards karmic purification the more that you, you know, you go back to humor, direction, and use, the more that these grudges seem stupid. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Even the big ones, even the big ones, you know. Now, there are bigger ones that I haven't actually faced, so I'm not going to say that there are ones that, you know, that I've faced the really, really big ones in this lifetime. I've faced a lot of them in my past lifetimes, which is different, you know. I face some some things that a lot of people would consider they wouldn't forgive or are unforgivable in this lifetime that, you know, really became like easy to forgive. Mm -hmm. it, they become stupid. They just become stupid. You're like, why would I hold on to that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just, you know, and, and you literally, honestly, very sincerely, these purifications alter you and your energy you literally sincerely honestly love that person and you really do care how they're doing and, and what you know what what happens to them and you do sincerely hope you'll see them again at least in the afterlife and, and that's that's another, <laughs> that's another step beyond just forgiveness mm -hmm. it's to find the love and actually love the person and love everyone on this planet. So like, 
let's say that I'm, you know, passing and I'm leaving this earth. If there's anything here that if I if I'm not loving all and you know so that's that's beyond forgiveness is mm-hmm. love. So now we're going to this other level. So when we can be in a place where we just love everyone. Yeah. I mean, I think there was something that I don't know if it was something you that I from this project or spiritual warfare, but it was something that rang so true is is to love someone not despite their ignorance, but because of their innocence. Mm-hmm. And in a way, we're all innocent and we're all ignorant. Yes. And so if we can realize that, that really we don't know anything. Yeah. Uh, and so love. Just if we could love and just know that we live. And when we're, there's some place where there isn't love, then that's some place we can direct some attention to find out how we can love that part and love that space, love that person, you know. Bring more love into it. Yes. And that's what it's all about, right? God is love. That's exactly You know, from the very beginning, I was shown that part of the purpose of the experiences I had was to bring more of heaven to earth. So every trip I would take, every out-of-body journey I would take, it was bringing a little bit of heaven to earth. And what is heaven? Heaven is the embodiment of love. It's the manifestation of love, God's love. So we're bringing a little bit of love to earth. And so we are learning to embody more of God's love on earth. And so, you know, when we go through karmic purification, that's what we're doing. We're learning to embody God's love, not our own. You know, when we talk about people having near-death experiences and they experience the unconditional love of God and how overwhelmed they are by it, and you know how this happens for almost everyone, you know, exclusively, we know that there are negative near-death experiences, but we also know that people who, even people who have the negative experiences, the moment they call out to God, he responds, you know, and he's there. So we know that God has this love for every single soul, you know, that he's created, which is all of us. And we, we cannot, we have to get rid of this separation, this multiplicity that we create of, you know, I want to be loved like that, but I don't want him to be loved like that, you know, by God, you know what I mean? And so what, what we start to understand, if we really comprehend what that means, is that God loves each one of us in this way. And therefore, that tells us that this is ideally what we are called to become as well. If we want to become compatible to union with that all holy and all loving God. So that's what karma purification is. It's letting all these things drop away. All these things drop away. And that's, you know, I think where humor really could come in, in valid paths of religion, where we could recognize that without humor, we are going to miss the mark because we must legitimately be able to laugh at ourselves, love one another, and just accept that we will screw up. (laughs) 
And the only way that people get through this life here on earth and still love one another is through forgiveness and mercy. And if we want it for ourselves, we must also be willing to afford it to others. You know, the thing that really, really brought that home to me was when I went through this, this one was, it's kind of hard to explain because, you know, I had a couple of near-death experiences, but I had this other thing where I was very, very sick, where I went through this lengthy life review and I wasn't near death, but I went through the life review as if I were. And it was, it went on for a few days. I came out of that and I was just in complete and utter tears for days because I was seeing my whole life played out for me for days, <laughs> for days. And seeing things I didn't remember from childhood forward, everything. And I came out of it. And the, the thing I kept saying to myself, because I was just crying in my corner by myself, was how arrogant that I ever thought that anyone else ever owed me an apology. <laughs> there is so much that I need forgiveness for. <laughs> Uh, nobody needs to apologize to me for anything. I need to, I need to, you know, I have so much for which I need forgiveness. Everyone's forgiven as far as I'm concerned for me. You know what I mean? It's like uh, how, how uh, prideful it was that I thought that people needed my forgiveness for things. And it was just so mind-blowing for me to see this. But I think this is what the near-death experience, the life review provides us, mm. is that we realize, well, I need so much forgiveness. I, I can't even go out there and start saying, well, you need, you need to apologize to me. I need, you know, you need my forgiveness. It's like, you can't even go there. Once you've been through your life review, it's like, no, I ain't touching that. I need so much forgiveness. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting you say pride, and then I think of the other, the greed and the lust. And, you know, sometimes things are lost by us even saying the seven deadly sins. It's because sometimes we have a phrase or a word and it has this meaning, and then the, the meaning is kind of lost sometimes to people. Um, to me, I, I do that sometimes, where I just hear this thing over and over. But, I mean... So yes, we love each other, we forgive, but then also like these markers of these these seven deadlies give us the opportunity to kind of sh sharpen our sword, to sharpen our spirituality and our truth because, you know, one of the things that we do, we're here and oh, that guy's got a yacht and a Rolls Royce and a, a beautiful partner and look at his clothes. And, you know, so we have these, there's these desires and so, mm -hmm. So to become kind of desireless for this earth, desireless for this material world, not that it's not okay to have good things, have nice things, to, you know, all that is, is fine. But when we become attached to yeah. these things of the earth, again, because we're talking about like, hey, man, are, are we going to keep reincarnating here or are we going to stop this reincarnation cycle? Uh, yeah the one that's not propitious to our soul. And so right. this, this is another aspect that we need to continually be aware of. 
And this structure of however we're built, our soul, and whatever challenge that we have, that's something we can have a sense of humor about too. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because we sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're like, you know, I think I see like a, I don't know, a monk or something like in the 1500s, like whipping himself, like, <laughs> instead of like, yeah, I have that. Oh, man. Okay. I got to work on this. All right, God. Need some help, you know, guide me. What do I need to do? Because uh, I don't want to keep this cycle going. Comically, this is, this is getting kind of crazy now. It's been like 500 lifetimes. Whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.